Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. We are getting ready for what should be an exciting week three of college baseball around the country. Some big tournaments, some big series. We're still a little ways away from conference play, although it is creeping up uh, ever. It's it's getting a lot bigger in the mirror now, but we're underway in uh, in college baseball, and we're excited to uh, to be able to you know, get back here on the, the Baseball America College podcast and, and talk with you guys about it, especially ahead of uh, such a big weekend. Peter, I mean, it's been a couple weeks of, of college baseball so far. This weekend actually wow. is going to be the first weekend every team in the country is competing. Um, wow. UMass, uh, I should have looked at this before I started talking, UMass, Central wow. Connecticut State, and a third team. Uh, are that haven't played yet this this year are are finally going to be on the field this weekend. So everyone is underway, but we've had a lot to look at already in the first two weeks of the season. I, what would have been some of your takeaways, some of your impressions of the the early going this college baseball season? Sure, I think obviously, um, as is with any fan, everyone was very curious to see how LSU was going to do how this roster construction was going to play out who was going to kind of slot in where um and i think you put it best on your twitter when the first lineup was released that all 56 games were going to be fascinating just because there were so many ways that jay johnson could kind of shuffle his guys up but i'd say in the early going i don't think you can say it's either been like a success or and certainly not a an underwhelming um first eight games for them but I think they've come out of the gates swinging. They've already, they won a really good midweek game last night against Texas. Um, they looked good in the round rock classic other than kind of a hiccup against Iowa. But other than that, they don't really play anyone until the start of sec play when they go down and play Texas A&M. So that's not for a couple of weeks, but I've been really impressed with them. Um, I think Florida state is really good. We learned that really fast. And I think that they're going to consistently be, in that top 15, maybe even top 10 range. Um, Wake Forest is another team that got a lot of preseason buzz. And while they haven't played really anyone outside of a couple of games against Illinois, who's solid, um, I think that what they've done is incredibly loud. They've looked like one of the most complete teams in the country. They've been pitching at nearly a perfect level. They absolutely crushed the ball one through nine. So I think that there are a couple of teams that have stood out among the rest. Um, Florida is another one. So I think while it's early, there are, are teams kind of setting themselves up kind of away from the pack and almost tearing themselves. So I'm looking forward as we get into conference play and some of these tournaments for these teams to play better competition and, um, honestly just just prove their worth in a sense yeah I, that's uh a good way to to look at it i mean we're 
in a part of the calendar where your teams are generally not playing the best opponents that they'll play all year. Uh, conference play, you know, is even in the ACC, which is one of the earliest conferences to start. We're still a week away from that. Uh, and, you know, so we haven't had a whole lot of, you know, true tests, true challenges for a lot of teams, but some of the teams that have challenged themselves early have impressed, like Florida State has probably been one of the most, made one of the biggest statements of the year so far going into Fort Worth last weekend and, and winning two games and really having a chance to sweep the series. They only lost the the finale by one run there. Um, and, you know, I, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know how I feel about Link Jarrett and how good of a coach he is. And he inherited strong talent at Florida State, uh, particularly on the mound. And they've done a good job uh, on the mound this year. And, and Link has them hitting the ball really, really well right now, which is not a surprise uh, if you look at the track record throughout his career. So if, uh, if Florida State's going to keep anything close to this up, uh, I, I think they have the potential to really compete at the at the top of what looks to be a very crowded ACC uh, Atlantic division with with Wake and uh, and Louisville uh, there as well. So that that's a, a, a very intriguing development for me early on. Um, otherwise, I don't know how much we've learned. Like we we keep learning about teams, and then I. You know, we keep learning other things that maybe contradict what we already had learned. Like what we saw from Mississippi State early has been very up and down. They lose last Friday, uh, you know, to Arizona State in really bad fashion. And then they come back to win the series. And then uh, in the midweek on Tuesday, they win a back and forth game with Southern Miss in Pearl. So it looks like the Bulldogs are trending in the right direction now. Um by the time you're listening to this, hopefully I'll have a piece online about Mississippi State as they enter uh, the Frisco Classic this weekend, with which has some intriguing competition for them, Cal, Ohio State, and uh, Oklahoma. None of those are world beaters this year. I, in fact, I think all three, all four of those teams really feel like they're trying to find themselves right now. And so I, I, I definitely have my eye on that going into this weekend is just a place that I want to learn things from. I don't think that we're going to, whoever goes two and one or if somebody goes three and O out there, I don't, I don't think you're going to walk away saying like, yes, that team is like very clearly on the rise and like, they're going to be a tournament team and whatever. But I, I do think a lot can be learned when uh, four teams like that get together. Uh, one of the other big stories so far from the season has been really everything that's gone on off the field with Tennessee as much as anything on the field. They were one of the, you know, they, they took a couple losses on opening weekend and that was surprising for a team that, you know, is came into the season ranked number two in the country. But uh, the bigger impo- impact really has been that Maui Ahuna was uh, ineligible for the first two weekends and Tony Vitello was suspended by Tennessee uh, last weekend against Dayton. Uh, this week on Monday, we found out that all of that has uh, has been resolved. Uh, Maui is back in the lineup for Tennessee, or in the lineup now for Tennessee, as he completed his transfer from Kansas and all the paperwork has been squared away. And uh, he, is, he is now set to, to be the Vols shortstop moving forward. And Vitello's suspension is over and he returned to coaching 
Um, they both, you know, were, were in there on Tuesday when Tennessee beat Charleston Southern. Uh, this has been confusing, to say the least. Tennessee hasn't been very forthcoming with a lot of details. Um, what we know is that Maui Ahuna transferred from Kansas uh, to, to Tennessee. There's been reporting around, uh, you know, the way in which that went down, but Tennessee has never said that Vitello, like they, they just said that unspecified violations had occurred in the program. Um, Tony himself on Tuesday after the game said that he kind of accepted the suspension in hopes that it would get Ahuna cleared quicker. We don't know whether that was the case or not. Um, but in the end, everything has been resolved in Knoxville and, and they can now move forward at, with the team that they thought they were going to have coming into the year. And, you know, we'll see what that means for them. Uh, they're, they've been fine so far this season. Uh, this weekend they play Gonzaga, a Gonzaga team that has not been fine. <laughs> they, uh, the Zags are fighting it in the early going and now have to go to Knoxville. So it's not going to be an easy series this weekend by any means, but I, I, I just am you know, curious now that, that we can finally see the Tennessee lineup that we thought we were going to see at the start of the year. I agree. I was going to say this weekend is kind of the first time, obviously they have today we're recording on Wednesday. This will be the second of a midweek series against Charleston Southern. So I guess the second game we're seeing the Vols at full strength, but like you said, I'm excited for Gonzaga, maybe better known nowadays as the, the fighting Cade McGee's, but um, they're a solid team nonetheless. They'll see a solid arm in Owen Wild. They've got a they're always a really good club. So I'm excited to see Tennessee, especially at full strength, kind of distractions behind them. No outside factors playing in and and you know, they can any team can kind of say that, oh, you know, we leave that stuff off the field or away from the dugout or anything like that. But when you're waiting on the decision of Malyahuna, Coach Vitello was um, suspended for last year's for last week's series. I think having all of that behind them will be will honestly just help them breathe. And so I think that when you get a top thirty pick, most likely in Malia back, that's a huge boost both on both sides of the baseball. He's an outstanding defender. He's a great hitter. Um, so I'm really looking forward to to kind of see them find their footing and, and see what they can do headed into conference play. Because um, again, it's really the series against Gonzaga. And then you're kind of going to have to wait for that first weekend of SEC play to see the Vols take on someone formidable again. Yeah. And I mean, Tennessee is, you know, they, they've done well to this point. Um you know, even in their losses, like they lost to Arizona three to one and they lost to Grand Canyon four to three. And just the offense obviously wasn't fully clicking at the at the start of the season, but uh, or out of the gate. But it's to be expected, given everyone that they lost from a year ago. Uh, you know, the, the pitching staff has really been there the whole way through and is what's going to carry them for a while. So now um, as we continue to move through like I, I am curious to see just how the lineup gets organized and you know they start feeling more comfortable and everything but you know Gonzaga has some some decent pitching uh, some better than decent pitching really and uh, you know they, they can challenge Tennessee in that regard but um, yeah I mean we're uh, 
we're, we're, we're still a ways away from finding out what Tennessee really is in, in 2023. Let's, uh, let's turn our focus to this coming weekend. Uh, we've got some big games, some big tournaments uh, this weekend. I've already mentioned the Frisco Classic. We mentioned Gonzaga playing Tennessee, a series that on paper, uh, you know, a year ago, both of those teams spent most of the year in the top 25. Again, Gonzaga sitting at one and seven right now. I don't know if this is going to be a top 25 Zags team, but that's still a team that if you look up at the end of the season and they're in first or second place in the WCC, that would be about what, what we would expect from this team. So it's a good series. Uh, it's just a series right now that's a little less sexy than, than expected coming in. But there are still some, uh, some other big, big events. Uh, of course, starting with this weekend in, in Houston with the Shriners College, Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic, uh, another good field there at what, uh, you know, really is the premier uh, non-conference tournament um, in college baseball. You've got teams like TCU and Texas A&M and Louisville and Texas Tech all in the top 25. Then you also have Michigan and Rice rounding out the field. And the way that the tournament sets up, the the schedule sets up, you have some, you have some rematches from last year's NCAA tournament. Uh, Louisville is playing Michigan again. That was a, uh, a regional final, a controversial regional final that Louisville won to advance uh, to Super Regionals where they played A&M. That's happening again this weekend. And uh, so I, I think that has some fun storylines to it. But you also have some teams there. Louisville has not left home yet this year. This is going to be tougher competition than we've seen the Cardinals take on. This is a Cardinals team that we like coming into the year that's right there as the ACC favorite, but this is, again, this is going to be a different kind of test for them. Um, you know, TCU has really challenged themselves. They played in um, the the showdown in Arlington on opening weekend, then they played Florida State last weekend, but this is, you know, they technically they, they left Fort Worth to go play in Arlington, but this is a little different too. They're not going to be able to sleep in their own beds. They have to travel down to Houston and AM is coming off of a really brutal week last week when they went one and three against Lamar and Portland. And, uh, you know, the teams they're going to be playing this weekend are better than Lamar and Portland, we think. Uh, Texas Tech hasn't left Lubbock yet. Um, and then, you know, Michigan is, of course, uh, very much a road warrior at this point, not being able to play at home. But uh, again, the, the level of competition is going to be a lot different for them. And that's a team that, is, has a lot new as Tracy Smith takes over the program following Eric Backage's uh, move to Clemson last offseason. So a lot a lot of interesting stuff here, and, and I think that all of these teams are, are really going to be challenged this weekend uh, in a variety of ways. I agree, and I think that there are a lot of fun and enticing matchups. I think that this is a huge weekend for Texas A&M. As you said, they're coming off of a series loss against Portland. They lost that midweek game to Lamar. They very well could have lost that Sunday game if it weren't, if they didn't walk it off. Um, and they'll have a chance to get top two top 25 wins with Louisville and Texas tech on there. I think Louisville also has a tough three game slate. They will play a and M and then TCU. And then they'll close it out with Michigan who again, might not be off to the best start, but they're, you know, a quality club and a power five team. Um, so I think that this is a really exciting field. Um, and I think that 
you know, we'll be able to see pretty quick if Louisville is, you know, maybe not a, a, a top five team where we have them. Um, but we'll be get, we'll be able to kind of get a feel for the, how high of a quality club they are. Um, they struggled last weekend against ball state ball state hung around with them on Friday. They lost Saturday, um, before, you know, exploding. Bowling green. Oh, Bowling green. Yeah. Uh, um, before exploding for that Sunday win. And then they played well yesterday in their midweek. So I think I'm most excited to seeing how Louisville does against high quality competition. I'm excited to see how Texas A&M bounces back. Um, and then I'm looking forward to seeing if a team like Rice or Michigan can kind of upset the field and maybe have a nice two and one weekend of their own. So it's a really enticing field with with good teams that I'm looking forward to watching. So I wrote about this on Sunday uh, in regards to Texas A&M or on Monday, whatever. Um, you read it on Monday and off the bat if uh, if you checked it out over at BaseballAmerica.com. But um, A&M is fighting it at this point because their offense is really slumping out of the gate. And that's surprising because the offense was supposed to be what was, you know, like that's where the return, the bulk of the returners were. That's where they had a lot of veteran talent and they were a really good offensive team a year ago. So to see them out of the gate slumping has been a bit surprising, uh, more than a bit surprising, I, I suppose. Even. And they are this weekend going to face some better pitching than, than what they, what they've seen to this point. And I, they need a response this weekend, but you know, I, the, the, the way that they're struggling offensively is their veterans are struggling for the most part. And so I, I guess I feel pretty good about them being able to figure out in the long run, but Peter on, on Friday night, they faced Louisville, um, a, a team that, that certainly knows how to pitch under Roger Williams, a, a team that, you know, is probably looking for a little bit of revenge after seeing their season end in college station last weekend. I mean, I just, they got right to an extent uh, A&M did on Tuesday, beating Houston Christian 23 to nothing in seven innings. But like, I don't, is that something that you think can carry over into to Friday or is, uh, or is that just facing a, a very overmatched HCU uh, pitching staff? That's a great, it'll be interesting to see for sure. But I think in looking for a result that can carry over to this weekend's um, kind of loaded schedule, a 23 to nothing victory is about as good as you can hope. Um, and I, I agree with you when their veterans struggling is really surprising. And I don't think that guys like Austin boast and Trevor Warner are sub 200 hitters when all is said and done. So I think that, and, and you know, as the old, the old adage goes, hitting's contagious. So, you know, even last night, seeing a ton of balls, find the grass, putting up a lot of runs, seeing a lot of guys cross home plate. I think that's a big momentum builder and a big confidence builder heading into a high quality weekend like this. So I wouldn't necessarily call any of these games must wins for anybody, but I, I do think that A&M is going to have to come out of this weekend showing that they can hang with the Louisville's of the world. What looks to be like what could be a top 15 Texas tech of the world. Um, they, definitely should slash need to beat rice. Um, 
So I, I'm I'm really interested to see how they look. I'm I'm curious to see if guys that I mentioned, Warner and Boast, can have good weekends, kind of the weekends that everyone's been waiting on them to have. Ryan Tarshox, another guy who came into the season and had a good season last year. Um, off to a bit of a slow start this year. He's only got, I think, one home run. Um, this is lone extra base hit. So I think last night was a good step in the right direction, albeit against a lesser opponent, but this weekend's a huge one for the Aggies. No doubt about that. I mean, and, and if you look at Tech, uh, 9-0, and swept Gonzaga to start the year, swept Western Illinois last weekend. I genuinely don't care about that. Um, you know, WIU is under your first-year coach and won something like 11 games a year ago. This is, this is different, but they are one of the handful of teams that are undefeated right now. Uh, they're going on the road, like I mentioned, for the first time, even if it's not a true road environment, this is the first time they'll, they'll leave Lubbock and, uh, they will, you know, because this event does draw a lot of fans and, you know, they're going to be playing A&M in Houston, which is just down the road from college station. Like they are going to encounter some hostile crowds. Uh, I'm, that's probably the team that I'm most curious about this weekend. Uh, you know. Louisville certainly has some intrigue for me, but just knowing that ACC play is coming so soon, like I, I'm willing to to just kind of wait a second and, and then see Louisville in, in ACC play. Like Tech this weekend, th- this is them being undefeated coming in uh, is is not something I expected. I, I would have thought that they would have you know taken a loss to Gonzaga sometime in those four those four games in opening weekend, but they didn't and. Uh, they've played really well so far this season. And that was a team that had a lot new that is, is pretty young. Uh, but Dylan Carter played really well this last weekend. They found the right pitching to this point. So I, I, I am looking most forward to, to learning something about Texas Tech this weekend in Houston. I agree. And I especially agree that, you know, it's nice to sweep Western Illinois, you score a lot of runs, whatever, but that, opening four game series win over Gonzaga, I thought was particularly loud and they did it in relatively easy fashion. They won a one run game on Monday. They walked it off, I believe, but those first three games, they outscored them 30 to I think 11 and they looked really good on both sides of the baseball. They may not have the toughest draw of the field, but again, we'll see them this weekend against teams like, um, Rice, Michigan, a ranked A&M team, which will be a really fun environment, as you had mentioned. And then their schedule kind of remains tough heading into conference play. They have a midweek series against UT Arlington down the road, but next weekend they play a really intriguing Iowa club, but not to get away from that. Um, That's a separate topic probably for next week's podcast, but guys like Gavin Cash has been a real revelation for them. He played very sparingly for Texas last year. He went out to the Santa Barbara Foresters and kind of showed flashes of of what he could be with a great summer. And he's off to just an unconscious start this year. Um, He's hitting 45. Seems like he hits an extra base hit every game. Kevin Bazell is another transfer um, from DBU who's been just fantastic and the staff is really high on. And like you said, the biggest thing is their pitching has been great. Mason Molina has kind of been as advertised. Brendan Gurton as well. So if they can go in and go and, and string together another three and weekend against high quality competition, I think you can officially put a for real stamp um, on the Red Raiders. 
Yeah, I do wish they played Louisville this weekend. I understand why they're not playing TCU. I, I do wish they played Louisville. If you could take Rice off this this schedule and give them Louisville. But, you know, putting these tournament schedules together is uh, is a challenge for everyone, and you have to balance a million different things. And I'm just, I'll, I'll just be happy uh, knowing that they, they are playing Michigan and, and A&M uh, on Saturday and Sunday. And I, who knows what Michigan is right now. We'll, we'll find out more this weekend, but um, I, I think those are, those are solid opponents uh, Two uh, factually. They are two teams that made the NCAA tournament last year, at least. So uh, they, that, that is something uh, that the tech has to contend with. And you're right. I mean, the schedule has already started to stiffen after that Western Illinois interlude. I mean, Gonzaga, we, again, we don't think that's an easy series that they started with. They're playing air force right now. And uh, as we, by the time you listen to this, they'll have finished their game on, on Wednesday, it being a, a matinee. And so hopefully they're still undefeated. So I made a deal out of them being undefeated already, but um, that the air force, you know, was in the tournament a year ago. They're going to Houston this weekend. Like you said, Peter, they have Iowa next weekend. And then Big 12 play starts, and that's no joke, with uh, Oklahoma State to uh, to kick it off for the Red Raiders. So it's uh, it's not an easy, easy stretch uh, at all. And given the struggles that Tech had with RPI last year, uh, I think that this is probably all very much intentional. Uh, but it, it we'll find out quickly here uh, just how good how good tech is. Uh, all right. So that's the Shriners hospital for children, college classic, um, happening this weekend at Minute Maid Park. Uh, we're going to get into a few more of the series and tournaments to watch this weekend in just a second, but first check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so the other big tournament uh, this weekend, I guess, I mean, I, we've mentioned Frisco. We're not going to dive deeper into Frisco. The other tournament we want to talk about this weekend is happening in Minneapolis. It's the Cambria College Classic hosted uh, by Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium, which is, of course, the Viking Stadium. And it's an intriguing field. Um, 
as Vanderbilt and Ole Miss and Hawaii come in to play a trio of Big Ten opponents um, in Minnesota, Maryland, and Nebraska. There's a lot of weirdness here, starting with, of course, the field itself, if you've ever watched them play a game in uh, in Minnesota or seen the picture, you know that like one of the lines is 300 feet and it's like 500 feet to dead center and, and everything. It's a, it's a strange field, uh, but that, that's what happens when you play in a football dome. But, but beyond that, you have a game where Maryland is playing Ole Miss, having just played a series in Oxford last weekend. They'll play again on Friday night. Um, you have Maryland, who is you know the reigning Big Ten champs, a, a team that's in the top 25, a team that we think is going to be really good again this year. And then Minnesota, uh, which has been strangely in the Big Ten cellar for the last few years and is winless uh, so far to start the season. And then a Nebraska team that took a real dip last season after winning the Big Ten the, a year ago. Uh, and is still seemingly trying to fight its way out. I, I don't know what to make of this field, Peter. Um, but I, I do know that Maryland gets Ole Miss and they get Vanderbilt, and I'm very intrigued by that. And then I am just curious about anything else that happens up there because a lot of this is, uh, you know, I haven't taken any time to watch Nebraska yet this year, and um, this will be an, an interesting opportunity to do so. And, um, you know, we'll, there's there's a lot to, to look at within this tournament. Yeah, I think first, like you said, it's a real grab bag of teams. Um, I think, you know, it, it's almost like someone threw all 299 or whatever the number is teams into a hat and just drew. And the six teams that they got were headed to the Cambria Classic. I would also, love it if that's actually how Minnesota did this thing. I, I'm loving the visual of like a uh, – I'm imagining one of those like lottery like machines where like the balls pop up. I am John Anderson, the Minnesota coach, controlling that. Like that would be – let's put that on TV. Yeah, absolutely. That and also anytime that baseball is played in a football dome, like you said, stuff inevitably kind of gets weird. This is a very polo, groundsy-ish field. There were – I don't know if it was in this Cambria classic, but I remember last year when at, at some of the games played at us bank, there were, there was at least one legitimate inside the park home run. So I'm looking forward to the inevitable wonkiness of it. But like you said, it's a real, I think the best word is just interesting field of teams. Um, Ole Miss, they get that rematch with Maryland, which is a good matchup on paper. We did just see that last weekend. And I think it's clear that, Ole Miss is the better team. Maryland has endured some, I think I'd call it surprising pitching struggles early on. Um, and then other than that, like you said, I'm looking forward to seeing if I think Minnesota probably has the toughest three game set of these um, six teams. And it doesn't help that they're and seven going into it. They've got Hawaii on Friday and then they've got Ole Miss and Vanderbilt Saturday and Sunday respectively. So They've got a really tough three-game slate. I'm interested to see if they can maybe steal one from Ole Miss or Vanderbilt. I I don't think it's super likely, but Brett Bateman's been hitting well. Uh, Brady Council, son of Brewers manager Craig Council, has been really good for them. So maybe they can pull an upset. 
But other than that, I'm expecting kind of Ole Miss and and Maryland and Vanderbilt, obviously, to kind of be at the the kind of the upper echelon, I guess you could say, which is not a hot take at all. I'm I'm the matchup I'm maybe most looking forward to though is Maryland against Vanderbilt on Saturday because we saw Maryland and Ole Miss. Um, Maryland again gets another high quality ACC team or SEC team, and so that's that's the individual game I'm most looking forward to. Vanderbilt's been, I, I'm trying to find the right adjective to describe them so far. I think solid would be it. Um, they've struggled in each of their midweek games against central Arkansas, which they lost against and Austin P yesterday, they were on the ropes there for a little bit, but again, they also have a solid series win against UCLA. So this weekend will be big for them if they can beat a Maryland team. Um, and come out of there two and one or three and zero. Oh. So, again, weird field, uh, baseball in a football stadium, but Vanderbilt and Maryland, and then the two teams that Minnesota are going to play in Vanderbilt and Ole Miss. I'm I'm probably most excited for that. So, I the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about Ole Miss playing Maryland again is that they're doing it on Friday night, and uh, I assume it hasn't been announced. But given that Hunter Elliott was going to the doctor this week, I can't imagine that he's starting on Friday night, uh, even if he were to, you know, be okay. Hopefully, he'll be okay. But you know, seeing specialists is uh, it's not a great thing uh, to begin with. I. But they have to face Maryland again on Friday, which means they have to face Jason Savakul and All-American again. And that's the game that Maryland won in Oxford. Um, so I'll be interested to see if Jack Doherty is listed as the Friday starter again when Ole Miss puts that out, uh, or if they jigger the rotation uh, this weekend at all. Uh, or And if Jack Doherty has just learned from, you know, he it wasn't like he was bad by any means against Maryland, um, but it is... Is he now more prepared to to you know go deeper into the game and and what does that mean for Ole Miss's pitching staff uh, behind him trying to contain this uh, very potent Maryland offense? Uh, but I, let's let's get into Vanderbilt here for a second because uh, I imagine we're not going to talk about Vanderbilt again uh, for a few weeks here. And although I guess they open SEC play with Ole Miss, but that's a couple weeks away anyway. Uh, I don't care what's happened to them in midweeks. Like they're two and one right now. Uh, the loss to Central Arkansas was weird. Yeah, it took them a while to shake loose against Austin P last night, and um, they gave up like seven runs. But here's the thing. Where, where I, th- this is where I'm at with Vanderbilt. They, I believe, still have potentially the best pitching staff in the country. Um, they're using guys right now on the weekends that somebody there is probably eventually going to move to Tuesdays. If they, if they feel like they need to, you know, is Andrew Dukanich really going to pitch like in one inning stints all season? I just find that hard to believe. Um, what is happening right now with Vanderbilt's pitching on the weekend is, is incredible. Uh, their rotation did not allow a run against UCLA in like 16 innings. And they got really, really impressive, uh, relief outings out of both Bryce Cunningham and Nick Maldonado. They both went three innings, uh, three plus in Cunningham's case. Neither of them has allowed a run yet this season. Uh, They both have shown the ability to go these like three inning, multi, multi inning 
uh, relief ace kind of kind of stints. And if that's the way Vanderbilt's going to choose to to use those guys and, and choose to operate its pitching staff on the weekends, they are going to be so so hard to handle because if if you have two guys that can pitch as well as Maldonado and Cunningham to have to this point, who you know can just pitch as like relief aces, you don't ever have to use them twice on a weekend. You just have to you know run one of them out there one day and one of them out there the next. I like they're going to they basically eliminate middle relief on on in a weekend series, and we've seen how big of an advantage having one guy like that can be, and I'm not saying that either one of these guys is going to have a Landon Sims or Kevin Copps kind of season, but if they can do something close to that, um, you know, that's, that's just really, really valuable. And eventually Vanderbilt will figure out what they want to do in the midweeks. They'll work through things. And I, I'm just not concerned one bit with, with the way Vanderbilt's pitching right now is in the midweeks. I agree with you. Um, that staff has been absolutely lights out between Futrell, Holton. Um, obviously, Cunningham and Maldonado have been the two guys, similar to you, I've been most impressed with. Probably Cunningham I've been most impressed with. But like you said, they're in a really unique situation, maybe even a one-of-one one situation where they can essentially roll. I'm trying to find the best way to describe this. Maybe you can almost call it two starters in a game. You have a guy go five and four or four and five in on Fridays and Saturdays respectively, or Sunday if they need Malinato or, or Cunningham or whoever. So I think having two guys like that, like you were saying they're obviously they'll, what they're doing right now won't um, necessarily hold up. They've been literally lights out, but I think that if you can have two guys like that, that you can rely on on top of, a lot of the other bullpen arms that they have who are very, very good. Um, they're going to be a really, really tough team to beat um, on any weekend, no matter who they're playing, because I don't think that their offense will ever need to get into, I guess, shootout mode where they got to win their, you know, like a 13 to nine or a 12 to 10 game on an SEC weekend. I, I think that their pitching will just be that good where it will carry them not only through the regular season, but potentially, you know, another run to Omaha. So, and I also think that Patrick Riley is a guy who early on, he has struggled a little bit, but he's another really good arm. I know they've used him in a midweek role, but like you said, I would not be shocked in the slightest where Andrew Dukanich moves out of that one inning middle relief stint on weekends, just so they can stretch him out a little bit see how he might do as a starter, see if he can get through one trip of the order, maybe figure out some of the command issues that have been a bit of a bugaboo early on. So their their pitching staff is, I'm with you, I, they're one of, if not the best in the country. And um, I, I think it's going to really carry them through the season. And I also think on offense, um, Enrique Bradfield is not going to hit 226. I think RJ Shrek, who was a great get in the portal from Duke, is a lot better than that as well. And Jonathan Vastine's been been fantastic early on. He had a great, great series against um, TCU and Oklahoma State uh, down in Texas. And, and the freshman RJ Austin's been great. So uh, I think that people, as they often do on Twitter and just sports fans in general, will overreact and say that 
you know, the sky is falling because they lose to Central Arkansas. They should have beaten Austin P thirty to nothing, and anything less than that is as good as a loss. But Vanderbilt's a really good team. They will be a really good team, and they'll be talked about as a as probably a potential national championship winner, as they are seemingly every year. Yeah, I uh, I kind of wish they were playing. Uh, like to your point about having seen Ole Miss and and, uh, and Maryland already, I wish they were going to play on Friday so we could see Savakul against Colton. But you know we uh, we get what we get, and uh, that Saturday game in Minnesota is going to be quite an interesting one. Uh, all right, let's talk about some actual series. Uh, let's talk about some rivalries, in fact, and uh, let's go down to Gainesville, uh, where we have Florida and Miami. It's a top 10 showdown, um, although the Hurricanes, they've been rather up and down to this point. They lost on Tuesday to FAU, blew a lead late, uh, and, and took that loss. Florida has been very impressive to this point. Miami is probably a different animal, although I don't want to take anything away from the teams that uh, that Florida has played so far. I, hasn't been a bad schedule. Uh, just Miami's different. This is always great rivalry. Um, Miami actually, uh, you know, won the last time it was played in Gainesville in 2021. So Florida looking maybe to to get a little bit of revenge for Miami opening up their new ballpark with uh, with that series loss in in 2021. Uh, but no matter how you slice this, uh, this is always a really fun series. I'm looking forward to learning more about Miami this weekend. It, they really need something. Um, they've been like I said, they've been up and down. They lost on opening day to Penn State, and then they ran off a whole bunch of wins, and then they uh, they couldn't get it done on Tuesday against a good FAU team that's definitely going to be in contention in Conference USA this year. But going to Gainesville's tough. Going to Gainesville to face Gators pitching is even tougher, and that is, that's what the Hurricanes have to deal with this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I think that that loss to FAU is a little bit of a – I think the wind got the wind speed behind their sails got decreased a little bit. I think that while Dartmouth at the light is, it is what it is. It's Dartmouth at the light. That's a series that you should dominate. Um, but it's still three games in which they looked good Friday. They were a little iffy and that would have made for, I think eight wins in a row if they had won last night after their opening day loss against um, Penn state. But again, Rivalry series are a lot of fun, especially Miami and Florida, two of the the bigger rivalries and kind of fighting along with Florida State for Florida State supremacy, um, I guess you could say. I For Miami early on, Yoani Morales has, I'd say, even exceeded my expectations at least. Um, he's off to a really good start, um, 14 for 33, which ends up as a 424 average, four home runs already. True freshman Blake Sear has been fantastic. He's he's really just headbutted and forced his way into the lineup and saying, you know, you you can't keep me out of the starting nine. He's he's another guy, three home runs already, um, four forty on the early going again. When your batting average can be raised or lowered by a hundred points with three at bats, then we're probably not at the stage where we can be talking about batting average as a viable stat. Um, but CJ Kafis is a guy I know that they, they're CJ Kafis is in, in my mind, he has a chance to be a top 120 or so draft pick, maybe a little bit higher. 
He had a fantastic year last year, one of the smoothest, at least visually, swings. He can hit for both average and power. He's flashed above average run times. I think that this weekend on a more individual level would be a really big weekend for him to kind of explode and get his 2023 rolling because he's been a little bit, he had that walk-off two-run home run against Penn State. Um, but other than that, he's been relatively quiet. Um, his swing decisions have still been elite. He's got a great approach, he's putting the ball in play. But this weekend, if he can really produce for Miami, I think that that would be a big reason why you see Miami take two of three or, or win the series from Florida um, is if Kafis can perform well. And then on the pitching side, they've been, they've gotten great pitching from Carson Ligon, who was solid as a freshman, but he seems to have taken a step forward, even as a sophomore. Um, he's just always around the strike zone. He consistently avoids hard contact um, and he just goes after guys and the, it, pitching fearless is a huge quality. And, and he seems to have it. Alejandro Rosario again has great stuff, big arm, plus plus change up. So, and then on the flip side, Florida. Um, yeah. Tell of, me about Jack Caglione. That's oh, all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair to the rest of the game. That's all anybody cares about right now. I was going to say, well, like you mentioned in the intro, Florida has kind of established themselves as a, a, a national title contender, even before the season they had that, but. Caglianone is, he's got one of the, he's just got a unicorn profile all around. He's a 6'5 lefty weekend starter in the SEC who ho-hum also posts 118, 115 plus exit velocities on routine. Um, he's got seven home runs already. He just, he just melts the baseball every time he's in the batter's box. I, anytime he's doing anything on a baseball field right now, He's in must-watch, change-the-channel territory for me. He's 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 playing at that high of a level. And it, it, he's going to, I think, do both, or, or at least try and do both professionally. He's not draft-eligible until 2024, but it's like, do you want to make the 6'5 lefty throwing 98 stop pitching, or do you want to make the guy who is posting ridiculous exit velocities and has a great, beautiful swing and it has athletic. Do you want to take the bat out of his hands? So no matter what he's doing on the baseball field, it is at an elite level and he's just so, so much fun to watch. Um, it, it sounds so simple. I just don't know how else to describe it. He's just unbelievable and, and, and just fantastic to, to turn on. Yeah. It's like if Kemp Alderman could pitch like, yeah, the, the kinds of exit velos you see from Caglione, like I, the only player I really consistently see that from right now is Kemp Alderman, and like I'm not looking at average uh, exit velos all the time. So like maybe you could find a, a different example, but in terms of just like the peak exit velos, the power that you look at, it's like yeah, if Kemp Alderman could pitch, and it's also like if AJ Puck, like several years ago, came to Florida as this big lefty two way potential guy. And hit some his freshman year and just didn't hit well enough for them to keep doing it. Uh, but it's basically like this is what A.J. Puck was, the, the ideal of what A.J. Puck could have been. Uh, so it's if A.J. Puck could also hit. Uh, so combine A.J. Puck and Kemp Alderman, that, that is who I have in my mind with Jack Haglione. And it's, uh, it's been really impressive to this point. Um, the whole Gators situation has been very impressive to this point. Uh, they've... 
you know, they're trying to work some things out in their bullpen right now. Uh, and it's cost them a, a game or two already, but, uh, that's what this time of year is for. So, I mean, those starters are really good. The offense is clicking. Josh Rivera is off to a great start as well. It, th- there's a lot to like about what's happening, uh, for, for them. And, and then this weekend is, uh, is a pretty substantial test. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think like you said, the, the bullpen shuffling is what every team in the country is doing. So they'll figure out who fits where, um, at some point. I think guys that have impressed early on are Cade Fisher, true freshman. Brandon Neely's been been really good. It seems like he is their closer at this point. He's notched a couple of saves. Um, and then guys like Blake Purnell, he's he's appeared in four games. He was outstanding last year. Um, their sidewinder that just throws bowling ball sinkers. Um but he's kind of gotten hit a little bit this year. Um, he's actually kind of had command issues this year. He's he's walked a few guys, and they've used him in a very specific role, as teams usually do with subby guys. But again, there is a lot to like. Herson Waldrop has been as advertised. The fastball, again, it's 97-99. He's holding that velocity well. The power slider's been there, and I think the biggest pitch for him, at least in my eyes watching him, is that split changeup is hellacious and it just falls off the table about five feet from the plate and throws it to both righties and lefties. And he he's, he's looking like a top 15 overall pick. So, and then obviously offensively, Wyatt Langford is, I don't need to even discuss what Wyatt Langford is, but Cade Curland, the true freshman has probably been the biggest surprise, at least to us. He should be a senior in high school. Right. He should still be in high school right now in, like chem class and and Matt and English class, but instead he's hitting 500 so far, eight extra base hits. Um, yeah, he's he's been lights out to start the year, and then you know veteran BT Ryapel has been great too. So and I and like you mentioned, the point that I the last point was that Josh Rivera, being as good as he is so far, has been has been unbelievably valuable. They've been waiting for this maybe for Rivera's whole college career and for him to, and for in the early going for it to all be clicking for him has been awesome to see. And it shows um, how much a guy like that means to the Florida team. All right, let's go to another SEC ACC rivalry. This one in South Carolina, it's the always fun Reedy river rivalry uh, with uh, the series moving uh, across the state this year. It's just happening in Clemson and South Carolina. No, no neutral cider. Uh, they'll start it in Clemson for two days, finish it in Columbia, um, South Carolina off to a flying start, having faced very minimal competition to this point, but um you know, wins are wins. And Clemson is really fighting it all of a sudden. They started 4-0. They swept Bainington. They won a midweek against Charlotte. Um, all of that's fine and good. And then UCF showed up in Clemson and swept the Tigers. And then they also lost on Tuesday to South Carolina Upstate. So Clemson now comes in with, uh, you know, really needing something against South Carolina. They get two home games. Um, this is Eric Backage's first season as Clemson coach. So of course this is his first time as head coach, uh, in this rivalry series. I don't know, Peter, do you think Clemson can get a response this weekend or are we going to see, is South Carolina going to validate, uh, what they've done 
in the first two weeks. Yeah, I think that this is a big series for each team for, for I think, pretty different reasons. Clemson desperately needs a spark. And I think that, you know, they really need to win a series. Winning a series like this would be huge against um, 9-0 South Carolina. It's their in-state rival. I think that's a huge momentum builder as they head into kind of a light stretch before conference play. But on the flip side, South Carolina is going to be wanting to establish themselves that they are for real. You know, they can beat up on more than just kind of mid-major teams. Um, and I, I I think it's a really big series. I, I think that there is stuff to like with Clemson. Obviously, at the top, Coach Backage is great. Um, but on offense... They've got two guys who have led the way so far in, in junior infielder Blake Wright and actually true freshman outfielder Cam Canarella has been has been great. And I know that there are a lot of people who are really high on him. So they can hit a little bit. Um, but on the flip side, the South Carolina rotation has just been they've been lights out with Hall, Sanders, and Mahoney. Hall especially has been really really good last weekend against Penn I was able to watch most of his outing and he was fantastic his fastball was up to 96 but that changeup was it almost was like a Devin Williams airbender type pitch it was high spin but he threw it to righties and lefties and it just like it almost had screwball action it just it just fell and faded and 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 just made hitters look ugly all day and and so I, I, I'm looking forward to this series. I do think that South Carolina is going to come out on top and further establish themselves as one of the better teams in college baseball, better teams, meaning top 25 to 30 teams. So again, a rivalry series, anything can happen, but I do think on the back of their starting rotation, the Gamecocks get it done and, and they're not a pitching only team. They've, they've, crushed 27 home runs on the year which i should have looked at the setup but it i would assume it leads the country and they're another team that again against lesser competition but they've still looked like a really complete ball club so i'm excited to see what this squad looks like against a solid clemson team the the biggest thing about this series for me is that it starts in clemson clemson gets two home games out of this and so that both gives the Tigers an opportunity to, you know, figure some things out and get back on track. Although, you know, it's not like they've, it's not like they've been losing road games. They've been losing home games, but uh, I think that can provide a lift. You know, it's going to be raucous, especially on Friday night for this rivalry series. Um, so I, I, but I also feel like that makes this all the better for South Carolina, because if they are able to go into Clemson and win at least one of those games and win at home and win the series, I'm going to feel a lot better about believing in them than if this had just been a straight home series and like, okay, like, yes, I think Clemson is a good team, but Clemson is also comes into the series four and four and on a four game losing streak. Like, what does that actually mean? I do think we're going to find out a little bit more about South Carolina and I'm going to be able to believe a little bit more if they are able to, uh, to win this, this weekend. Uh, They do lead the country in home runs. Uh, They have a, a one homer edge over Wake Forest, having played one fewer game. So South Carolina very much uh, in the lead there. 
their schedule to this point has not been good though. Like the, it, it, before we move on, I, I, I must say that they've played UMass Lowell, Winthrop, <laughs> Queens, Penn, North Carolina, and T Penn was good last year. Penn was like, uh, you know, potentially, I don't want to say tournament caliber. It's hard to say that of an Ivy league team. That is a team that went out, won a series at Texas A&M a year ago and, finished right there at the top of the Ivy League standings and just lost in the, the championship series. Otherwise, that's a tournament team. But uh, it was their first weekend. The Ivy League doesn't play on opening weekend, so that was their, their first time out on a field. And Lowell hasn't won a game. And Queens is in their – this is their first Division One season. And, um, you know, Winthrop is 4-4. Four and four. That's the best record of a team that South Carolina has played to this point. So – I am a little skeptical still, but I am very intrigued by the talent that South Carolina has, and I'm excited to see what they've got this weekend against uh, on the road against an ACC opponent. Uh, all right, one more uh, that we want to dive into a little bit here. This one's definitely more under the radar. It's happening out west. UC Irvine goes to Arizona State. Uh, ASU... Off to a five and two start, they lost a series last weekend at uh, at Mississippi State after winning very convincingly on Friday night. They were not able to uh, grab another win in Starkville, so they go home at five and two. They play this uh, as we record this on Wednesday. They play tonight against North Dakota State. They'll probably win that. They'll probably be six and two going into this thing. UC Irvine is seven and one. Uh, and they've uh, they've looked good in the early going. They swept Tulane to start the season. They beat uh, USC. They beat Washington State. They uh, beat San Diego. They beat Michigan. They they've got some solid wins here. Uh, that was a team that I thought was going to you know compete for the Big West title last year, and just ultimately couldn't keep up with UCSB. But UC Irvine is a good team. They're going on the road. ASU is. Uh, you know, they're one of the teams that went heavy into the portal uh, last summer. They're still trying to find themselves in many ways. Uh, I think it's a great test this weekend for both of these teams. I agree. And I think this is a great under-the-radar series for a lot of reasons, a lot of which you mentioned. Um, admittedly, I thought after their Friday night shellacking of Mississippi State that the Sun Devils would come out of Starkville with a series when I was a bit surprised to see them drop the final two games in the fashion that they did. But nonetheless, they're still off to a good start. I'm really hoping that they don't lay an egg against North Dakota State tonight because that would change some of what I'm going to say. But they, they hit the portal hard, like you mentioned. Luke Kieschel, um, he's a great player. He's off to a little bit of a slow start. But they've gotten big-time production out of true freshman Luke Hill, who's been great. He's just watching him hit. He's got unbelievable barrel sense and feel for the game. Um, this isn't a lucky hot start for him by any stretch of the imagination, just looking at him in the box and, and how he carries himself. Ethan Long is a guy that I know that they'll want to get a lot of production out of, and he seems to be living up to that early on. He's already hit a couple home runs. And then the key for them is going to, I think, be the pitching um, with – Ross Dunn and Timmy Manning and Christian Curtis. So I, I think it's a big series for them. I, I'm also looking forward to Irvine, obvious for obvious reasons. They swept Tulane, like you said. And 
they've got a couple of loud non-conference wins. They they took it to Michigan yesterday. San Diego was a nice win. Um, they have one of my favorite players to watch on the West Coast um, in Joe Oyama, who's their infielder. Um, he's gotten time at third base. He'll he'll play second base. Um, he's just an incredibly incredibly tough out. Um, he always competes in the box. He's incredibly hard to strike out. He's got game-changing speed. He, he hit three triples on opening weekend. He's yet to hit another one, but he's a slash-and-dash type of guy. Um, he just pounds the ball into the ground, pounds line drives all over the yard, and really just lets his speed work. He's great in the field. Dub Gleed's another guy. He might have my favorite name in all of college baseball. Um but he's off to he the best start. name in college baseball. I'll confirm that you can have a different <laughs> favorite one if you want, but it's the best I, I'm with you. And then they've also gotten great pitching. Um, David Vizcaino has been great in a couple of his starts. Um, their bullpen has been strong with Jacob King being unbelievable um, in the closer role. He's been as lights out as one can be. So I'm really excited for this series. I'm not sure. I, I think it would say more about UC Irvine than it would ASU if Irvine can be what looks like at least competing for a regional type of club in Arizona State. If Irvine can win this series, then you know they get they've got a, they get a lot more national attention and and they that that sets them up for kind of a showdown with Gonzaga who Again, their record, no matter how Gonzaga does leading up to that series, won't necessarily be great, but that's another great team that UC Irvine's going to have to play. So I'm excited to see. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to see how the series plays out and just how each respective club looks. That sounds incredibly vague, but um, again, I, I think it'll tell me a lot more about how UCI is than it will Arizona State. Yeah, I, I would generally agree with that. I mean, the thing about ASU is that because they have so much now, what we saw from teams like that last year with especially Auburn and AM, I think Coastal gelled a little bit faster, but those are the three teams that really stand out in my mind as teams that hit the portal hard a year ago and then like it succeeded for them. AM and Auburn both took some time to figure out who they were before they became Omaha caliber. You know, uh AM like I said, they lost to Penn uh, in the the second week of last season. Auburn lost to Missis- or, uh, Middle Tennessee State in the fourth weekend of last season. So, if ASU needs a little bit more time to work things out, like that doesn't mean that they can't compete in the Pac-12. Uh, but UCI, if they keep this going, I mean that's uh, that would be pretty loud for me. Um, They've uh, they've gotten some production from some expected sources. They they're already dealing with um, you know some uh, they've already had to overcome some some challenges in terms of injuries and stuff. Uh, but the way that the Dub Galid has started, the way that Joy Oyama has started, uh, you know, you have to Peter. You said we can't trust batting average yet, and uh, you know, Caden Kendall. If you look at UCI's stat sheet. You have to keep looking and looking and looking. And this is a guy that's supposed to be the top prospect in the Big West as a position player anyway. He's hitting 242, but he's also already driven in 16 runs and he has a solid OPS. Just, you know, give him some time and he'll build that batting average up. But 
the way that they're hitting, especially, uh, has been impressive. They're going to have to figure some things out on the mound still, uh, but I, I, I trust that they'll they'll be able to get there. And um, you know, true freshman uh, Anthony Martinez has already hit three home runs for them, and that's not something that I was really anticipating coming in. That that was not the true freshman at UCI that I was watching. Uh, maybe mistakenly, but if uh, if he's going to keep that up, adding that kind of power to that lineup uh, is going to be pretty significant for them. Uh, you know, the Big West is not a power hitting conference, but if you can get a guy that has some pop in that league, uh, sometimes that can be a bit of a differentiator. So, if UCI is going to go out and challenge UCSB uh, this year, like I thought they would last year, um, you know, stuff like that has to happen. And in the early going, at least, the Anteaters are getting that. Yeah, I agree. And and like you said, Anthony Martinez has been a pleasant surprise. And I think we were in the same boat in being really excited about Riley Kelly um, as the freshman headliner for the Anteaters. But again, Martinez. So, it's a rough one so far for, uh, yeah, for he, Mr. Kelly. <laughs> I was going to say, he looked great against Tulane. I watched him pitch and I was really excited about it. And then, and then he faced UNLV, which I think is an outing everyone in that program will look to forget about. But yeah, Martinez has been great. I think you bring up a great point about Caden Kendall, especially where you kind of have to sift a little bit through the stat sheet to find his name, but the production is undeniable. The caliber of player is undeniable. And if these other guys can keep producing, obviously Chase Call, Dub Gleed, Oyama, Martinez has been kind of the wild card on top of Caden Kendall finally, you know, finding some green in the field. Um this suddenly becomes a really, really interesting club, not just in a series against Arizona State, but kind of in a bigger picture when you start to think about them in maybe a tournament format down the road, very down the road. But I, they have the makings of a really tough out um, in a regional format, and they're going to be a, a fun-to-follow team all season for the Night Owls out here on the East Coast. They're a team that's, that's worth staying up for and watching play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, usually you can find them in your ESPN app, which, uh, like, I love just being able to flip over at the end of the night. Uh, this week, you'll have to go find them on Pac-12 Plus, which is <laughs> it's a separate thing. It's too early in the season for me to get on the Pac-12. But, uh, you know, at least uh, uh, you, you will be able to check this one out. And I, I think it'll be a good one. Um, and it's not the most exciting weekend out West, but there, there's some good stuff. And, and I think this is uh, this is the highlight for me. Uh, all right, Peter, uh, we, uh, we hit those pretty hard. Uh, there's plenty to watch around the country, though, if you're, uh, if you're a college baseball fan looking, looking for more than what we talked about uh, this weekend. Uh, a, a lot to, uh, a lot to, to follow, and uh, it, like I said, it should be an exciting weekend. The third weekend usually is with some of these tournaments and, and rivalry series. So we're looking forward to it. Uh, you can follow everything. Uh, over on Twitter, I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter, uh, I have not memorized your handle yet, so your handle is? It is at Peter G. Flaherty. The G always trips me up. Uh, I had to stick the middle initial in there. It's a tough one. It's better than an underscore. Uh, if you, But like you and Carlos, are, are Carlos Colazzo, our draft writer, every time I go and I look and I'm like, oh, right, middle initial. Anyway, um, so Peter G. Flaherty on Twitter, for, for Peter, at Ted Cahill, for me, uh, you can find all of our writing at BaseballAmerica.com. And make sure to follow 
Baseball America, the Baseball America College Podcast uh, in your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, follow the Baseball America Podcast. We'll be coming at you uh, throughout the season with our, uh, our thoughts and our analysis about the college game. And uh, there's plenty of other stuff to read over at BaseballAmerica.com as we, uh, as we all get ready for the, the Major League season and the World Baseball Classic and the draft and all of the great things that we, we follow uh, over at Baseball America. So thank you all for listening. For Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.